Hey, y'all. It's your fam, it's your friend, Black Fluid Poet, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. During this pandemic paradise where NFL quarterbacks who lie about their vaccination status ain't cute. Oh, it's been a while since I've um, since I've added any podcasts, episodes. Um, you know, I've, I've been struggling. Um, I've been going through a really dark place. You know, all of this, um, this journey of mine with self-love, I have to tell you, it has been truly a journey. And on many journeys, if you've ever taken a road trip, you know, the car gets messy. There's crumbs of all kinds of food. There's to-go containers. Sometimes you run out of gas. Sometimes you have a problem in traffic. Sometimes a little road rage, maybe a flat tire. Somebody hits a deer, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, on this journey of mine through self-love, there's a lot of to-go containers and a couple of dead deer, let me tell you. <laughs> um, one of them is waiting to date. That has been the biggest struggle. Because I'll tell you one of my toxic traits. One of my toxic traits is love bombing. When I meet someone, and it's not so much that I meet them and they're so awesome... Is that I meet them and I don't yet know their character defects and we haven't had any difficulties yet. And while things are running that smooth, which is usually, you know, the first month, the first couple of weeks, I am in love in, in my head. And it's not a fake thing. It's not, um, it's not playing pretend. It's just, this is amazing. This is what I've always wanted in a relationship. I wanted zero problems, no drama, no arguments. This is just... I'm in love right now. You are just an amazing human being. And I will constantly tell them, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad to spend time with you. I can't wait to see you later. Um, you're so amazing. And then we have our first problem. <laughs> and I hit a brick wall, you know, um, and things start to change. So not dating right now is essential for me to get to the bottom of who I am, why I am the way I am, and what do I plan on changing and what do I plan on keeping, you know? But in the meantime, it's lonely. And loneliness is something that I've struggled with since childhood. You know, I come from a family of neglect. Um, my dad was hardly ever there hardly ever, ever, ever there. There's been twice on occasion that I've seen my father and he didn't even recognize me. So that shows you how little he was there. And he would always promise to be there. He would promise to come and he'd never show up. And I think that's that's a behavior that I've gotten from him. Um, I've noticed that the way I post on Patreon and the way I post my podcast, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do it today. And then I don't do it right away because, you know, you don't really care. I, I think to myself, um, and I'm sure my father thought a lot of the same ways. And I promised someone that I would talk about my dad because I, I rarely ever do, if at all, talk about my father. So today I'm going to talk about loneliness. I'm going to talk about my father. Um, so the loneliness of not dating and not hearing that outside validation and affirmation from someone about me being a good person or a good-looking person or, you know, comments about my sexual prowessness or, you know, my physique or um, 
my tenderness, my affection, my consideration for another person, when I'm not hearing about any of that, I have to rely on myself to point out the good qualities that I have. And I am an unreliable witness when it comes to my best qualities. And I think it's because, one, my dad was hardly ever there and my mom was hardly ever home. Um, You know, my mom worked a couple of jobs and, you know, she was going to school and, you know, then she'd go out on her drinking and cocaine binges and she'd be gone for two and three days. And I'm talking, I was as young as five. And she would just have neighbors check in on me, but I would just be home by myself for days at a time. And so there was this constant reaffirmation that I wasn't worth spending time with. And because of that, anyone who was willing to spend time with me, I emotionally overwhelmed them, constantly seeking their attention, constantly calling their name, and wanting to talk about random shit just to keep them occupied with me. And that's something that hasn't changed. I do that in relationships. If I have a partner and they come over or I'm over their house and they start scrolling through their phone, I'm like, uh, hello, I'm over here. What the hell are you doing? And they're like, nothing, you know, just being comfortable, just spending time, you know. And I start to think, well, am I not important enough for you to put down your phone? Now, granted, this has nothing to do with them. This is about me. They're not necessarily doing anything inappropriate. I just have this idea in my head that when someone comes to spend time with you, they are not supposed to do anything else but focus on you. And that's from growing up the way I grew up. So that's one aspect of why I'm not in a relationship yet. Because I require far too much of my partner's attention. And I require too much of their validation to feel worthy. Another aspect is I don't know how to maintain my own boundaries when I'm in a relationship. I still have a very adolescent perspective on love. I have a very Romeo and Juliet way of looking at love. Whereas anything you want, anything you need, I will drop everything to be there for you. And I don't know how realistic it is to expect that from another person. And I don't know how healthy it is to require that of myself for other people. It's still how I am. I'm like that with friends. Um, I don't know necessarily how long it would take to ever change that. And I don't see that changing before I date, uh, which is... I think a little alarming, (laughs) maybe reaffirming because I, I do like that quality about myself, but a lot of people tell me that it's something that needs to change. I don't trust that advice necessarily because in the United States, individualism is held at such a high, um, high esteem individualism, you know, you, you, you first, you first, you first, you first. And I don't necessarily agree with that when it comes to love. Oftentimes, the other person is going to come first. They may need something, and it may be inconvenient for me to offer it or to assist with it, but I do think that's paramount. And I don't, I don't know, it's, it's something the jury's still out on when it, when it comes to this idea of sacrifice versus boundaries.
But growing up in a house where the parents were rarely visible, rarely attentive, I've constantly, not constantly, that's not the right word, I have over the years regularly affirmed that no one cares enough to sacrifice that far for me. And so even when people tell me they love me, I kind of take it with a grain of salt because in my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you love me the best way you can, but, you know, and maybe it's a grandiosity on my part and ego on my part. I'm like, you don't love me the way I love you, you know, because I will, I'll do anything, you know, for my partner. So um, I don't necessarily trust the phrase, I love you, from most people. And I know I've talked about this before on my podcast, but, you know, with my parents constantly telling me they love me, but hardly ever being present in my life, that left a message that, you know, my ideas of love were maybe archaic and um, the love that people offer these days is just unreliable. And I get... I get in my feelings easily when I'm told no or I'm feeling rejected. And it's because when I feel love for someone, the first thing in my head, like the first commandment of love is don't allow them to feel rejected and avoid the word no at all costs. And I've been around people, partners, friends, who know just falls out their mouth with no problem, you know, like, hey, I'm kind of stranded at the supermarket. Can you come get me? Well, I'm a little tired, you know. Um, I really can't right now. I'm, I'm just not feeling well. And I'm like, oh, okay, and I hang up the phone. But then in, in my head, I'm like, tired? You can't get in the car tired? Like, you can't hit the gas pedal tired? Like, I'm fucking two miles away. Like, fuck you mean tired? Fuck you tired, you know? <laughs> And in my head, I'm like, I don't care how fucking tired I am. If you're stranded at a supermarket, I'm coming to get you. Like, point blank, period, you know? So, and that did happen with a friend of mine. And when she said that to me, I thought in my head, fuck this. Like, I started to change. My energy started to lower. Um, and I matched her energy. Like, if something is inconvenient, I'm not going to do it. And I think she started to notice and we stopped talking without ever sitting down and having the conversation about it, you know. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I think the mistake was in not telling her how I felt. Um, because I think that that was an important conversation and a missed opportunity for us to grow. But it is what it is. And... I'm learning little by little to start expressing myself more. And the podcast has really been helping, helping with that, to tell you the truth. But right now, without dating, the loneliness is tough, y'all. It's really, really tough. Um, the silence can be deafening. Um, I've lost interest in cleaning my apartment I've, I've since picked it up a little bit but you know when I feel like nobody's coming over and there's no one to impress the clean laundry will stay on the couch for weeks um you know I haven't really cleaned off my desk ashtrays 
tend to stay full. The sink tends to stay full. Um, I don't make my bed. It, it's just, I don't feel alive. I feel so alive when I have someone intimately close to me. And that's beautiful and sad all at the same time. Like, I'm in my life. I'm intimately close to me. And I haven't been taking care of myself for myself. You know, when I have a, a, a partner in my life and there's children involved, let's say, I feel like everything I do, I do for them even more than I do for myself, you know? And since my divorce, I've crumbled in a lot of ways. And it's not so much because I love my ex-wife, because I did. And it's not so much because I loved her children, but I did. It's just because there aren't those people in my life who I do things to help us all grow. And it's an undervaluing myself that the loneliness rings really loud. You know, self-worth is a lifelong accumulation. And sometimes I think the lessons that I took out of my childhood and carried all the way into my 51st year on this planet, they haven't changed, you know. Um, I've felt expendable most of my life. And I feel expendable in most relationships. And I notice it most when I, whenever I've had an argument with my partner. I, the first thing that comes to my mind is this is the end. This is it. This is where we're going to break up. I know it. Because of that self-worth. Um, I try to end arguments as quick as I can. Um, sometimes I'll say I'm sorry when I'm not. Or I'll say I'm sorry just to, you know, make things better. Um, I'll say I understand when I don't. Because I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue. Because it leads to getting left. And it's it's a, you know, the old term abandonment issue comes up. Um, whew. Loneliness is an inability to embrace and enjoy my own company. It is the absence of positive affirmations from me to me. And it's an unwillingness to acknowledge how far I've come. And with those three things, they're game changers. They're game changers. If I could remind myself that I'm a good person, that I've made mistakes but done my best to right my wrongs. If I could remind myself that I'm a good-looking individual, despite all this gray, oof, Lord, I'm getting old. If I could remind myself that I'm intelligent and I'm caring and I do believe in activism and justice, you know, that I am anti, uh, anti-racist and, and, you know, anti-phobic, that I believe in everyone's right to share space and be here. All of those things sound marvelous. If I could enjoy my own company, I'd probably be writing a lot more than I have been. I wouldn't be self-sabotaging with school 
because I'm afraid. You know, once I'm out of school, then I lose all my professors, I lose all my classmates, and I'm back to being alone again. And even though I'm not, you know, incredibly close to any of these people, um, I still feel like this is the closest thing I have to family. The friends I, I've had, you know, I tell myself this is the closest thing I'll ever have to family. So I don't want to lose anyone. I mean, even if I lose a follower on TikTok, I'm like, why did they leave? <laughs> you know, and I would love to be one of those people like, I don't care what anybody says. Fuck what you think. I don't need you. That is not my story. That is not my narrative. I never wrote that. Um, I am overwhelmingly dependent on the opinions and the feelings of others to exist. Part of that is being an extrovert. Um, but another part of that is having to constantly throughout my life from childhood, again, barely ever having parents home to validate me. I've constantly sought outside validation, whether it's school teachers, classmates, girlfriends, I've constantly sought out the approval of others in order to exist, in order to find permission to live, in order to feel good about myself. I need, I've needed, um, you know, those affirmations from other people. And I'm getting to a point now to where I'm affirming myself little by little, you know, um, but I don't think I'm at a place where if I had a partner right now, I'd be able to stand on my own too and hold my boundaries and, you know, have a balance. I, I don't do balance well. Um, I love pleasure, love pleasure to a point to where I will, I will give up responsibilities to feel pleasure. I will call out of work to go hang out with my partner in a minute, um, So I still, I still don't put my life as a top priority when it comes, when, when, when compared to someone else's life. Um, and maybe, maybe that's something that sooner or later I'll work on, but just, just keep in mind that being alone is different from lonely. You know, I've spent this last year and almost a half in my own apartment. And um, whew, I can't believe I've had my own apartment for over a year. I've never done this before. Um, and some days, most days I've been alone. But some days I get lonely. And I, I start missing family. And I start thinking about old relationships that I screwed up and maybe if I did this or didn't do that, they'd still be here and I wouldn't be by myself. And I constantly keep track of the fact that no one's coming to visit. I'll tell you something that broke me last year. I bought some Christmas presents for some friends here in Albuquerque that I've known for a long time. And I called them and left messages that, hey, I got a Christmas present here for you. I know it's a pandemic. I'll, you know, I could put it on the front porch or whatever, but um, you know, I just want to give it to you. And not only did they never call, but they never came to pick them up. And it crushed me. It crushed me because it was a, 
it was an astounding realization that I valued them more than they valued me. And for the first time in a while, the loneliness was really overwhelming. And I was going off the deep end for a while, man. I was, I was really having a hard time. And I hope that I can let that go. Um, with Christmas coming, it's, it's kind of more raw than it has been. So um, I can't help but remember that that happened. You know, it's coming up on the anniversary. Christmas is coming. And I can't help but remember how I went out of my way to buy presents for people and they never even came to pick them up. God, that still hurts. And I don't want to have those kind of relationships in my life where I kid myself, where I, I think we're closer than we actually are. I don't want to maintain relationships like that. And I also don't want to maintain relationships where other people feel closer to me than we actually are because I haven't said, yo, we're not that close. Because again, I don't want them to feel rejected. I don't want them to have hurt feelings. So... In those aspects, it's really difficult for me to be honest in a relationship. And honesty is really important to a lot of people. So I'm not ready. I'm not ready to get involved right now. And it's tough because I'm a serial monogamous. I love being with just one other person. And having no family, I tend to devote all my attention to that partner. So... It's baby steps, y'all. And I love myself enough to investigate these things about me and go down these dark corridors and open these mysterious doors and uncover the dusty furniture and, you know, sit in the chair of, of my past and really take a look at how my life looks from that perspective. <sighs> I hope you do the same. Now, Let's talk about my dad, my father, John S. Blake Sr. Um, my dad was one of many, many children. I can't even tell you how many children the family is so big. I think it was eight um, from a very physically abusive mother <coughs> who, you know, was my grandmother. But when I met her, she was a saint. But everybody used to say she wasn't always like that, you know. <laughs> She was like trying to get into heaven in her older years. But um, my dad became a street hustler. According to my mother, he graduated high school early. Um, but I can't, I can't prove any of that now. It's, it's kind of hard to find the receipts. But um, my dad never had a legitimate job. That is to say, if you ask my dad his social security number, he couldn't tell you. My dad never collected a paycheck a day in his life. My dad had worked the streets of Harlem his entire life. Uh, numbers running, pimping, dealing drugs. And he made a living that way. Um, at one time, he was an entertainer. He was a singer at nightclubs. Um, he didn't make it very far, but that's how, that's how my mother met him at a nightclub. He was a singer. And... Um, from what my mother said, my dad really, really loved me. You know, I had, I had really bad asthma when I was a kid. Um, and 
my dad, my mom remembers uh, me having such a bad asthma attack that my dad put me in a stroller and ran me to the emergency room because the police was, were taking too long, the ambulance was taking too long, which is a very common story in New York City. An ambulance could take up to an hour. Um, but my dad ran me to the emergency room. I remember a story where I think I was about five or six and I remember my dad coming to see me in the hospital and I remember the nurse calling the police because she didn't believe he was my father. And this is, uh, these are the biracial blues. A lot of biracial people can identify with this. Um, but they thought my dad was just some strange pervert that came into my room and, you know, was trying to mess with me. So they called the police and my dad was ordered to prove I was his son which was just incredible. And it took my mom having to leave work and show up at the hospital, my dad sitting out in the hallway in handcuffs with the police and me crying in my hospital room. My mom had to come in and say, yeah, that's his father. What the fuck are y'all doing? My mom wouldn't tell me why they split up until I was much, much older. You know, she told me he cheated on her and she was tired of him with all these other women. But it wasn't until... I was probably 14 that my mom admitted that she had caught him in bed with another man. And it was also around the time that she had to tell me, John, I think your father has the virus. And everybody in my family knows my father could not stand needles. So I knew it wasn't a heroin addiction, but I looked at my mother like she was crazy. She's like, no, John, I've caught him with a man before. It's one of the reasons why we broke up. And... Which also explains my mother's homophobia. But when my dad um, died, I was, ooh, 24, 25. And um, I didn't know, because, again, my mom said she thought he had the virus, but she didn't have any proof. Um, but when I found out he died... I remember my aunt Dolores telling me, you know, your dad's in the hospital, you should go see him. And I said, why is he in the hospital? She said, he has pneumonia. I said, he'll be fine. You know, it's pneumonia. It's fucking pneumonia. It was the 90s, you know. Who dies of pneumonia, you know. My dad was, you know, about 60. And he had been an asthmatic his whole life as well. So what the fuck is pneumonia? You know, you get some antibiotics, they fill you with some fluids, some breathing treatments, you go home. Well, so I didn't go see him because I had a lot of resentments with him. And about six months later, I called my Aunt Dolores and I said, hey, how is everybody? How's everything? She said, okay. Um, she said, do you want me to, you want me to ch tell you where your dad is buried? And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I told you he was in the hospital. I said, yeah, with pneumonia. And she said, yeah, well, he died. And I was like, what? Turns out he had PCP pneumonia, which is a side effect of AIDS. But... The my black family doesn't talk about it because homophobia is real in the black community. It is really real. The emasculation that they equate to homosexuality is stupendous. So nobody talked about it. So they kept saying he had pneumonia, he had pneumonia, he had pneumonia. And I'm like, nobody fucking dies of pneumonia in 1995. So... 
I was enraged. I stopped talking to my family after that because their inability to deal with the fact that my dad was, in fact, bisexual or possibly gay and was just trying to keep it hidden for a long time. Um, I just, I couldn't bear to have a conversation with my family because I was just so enraged. You know, my oldest brother had, had the virus and two other siblings of mine still have the virus. And I just couldn't wrap my head around their unwillingness to accept the fact that my dad was one, bisexual, and two, had AIDS. And I guess that's why I don't talk about this, because I get so angry. I get so frustrated. You know, I try to imagine a world in which my dad could have been openly bi in the 60s, in the 70s. And maybe if my mother had a better education in school about gender and sexuality, she would have been okay with him being bisexual and maybe as a kid, I'd have had both my parents at home. Maybe my dad wouldn't have been doing blow and, you know, staying stuck in the streets. And maybe my mom wouldn't have been strung out on, on coke and drinking because she missed my dad and was grieving the loss of the relationship and having to be a single mother. And it's just so amazing the, the damage that homophobia causes. It's amazing to me. And I don't think people see these aspects of it. You know, if my dad could only be openly bi during my childhood, maybe I could have kept my family together, you know? I don't know. All right, well, I'm going to end it there. Um, I don't like to make these too long in case people listen to this on their way to work. Or they might have their own children and other things to do. Just understand that this journey of self-love is going to, you know, have some troubles. It's going to have some problems. It's not going to be easy, but it is worth it. And in finding my own self-worth, it's also enabled me to see the worth in others, even when they can't see it in themselves. I hope you see your worth today. I really, really hope you know how beautiful you are. And on that note, um, I'm going to segue into something that's really important. Uh, I've had 23,000 people listen to an episode of my podcast. I average between three and 400 listeners per episode. However, I only have 23 supporters at 99 cents up to 4.99 a month. So in order to really keep this endeavor going, I need more support. Anchor.fm, you can go to slash blackfluidpoet at anchor.fm, just go to blackfluidpoet, and you could subscribe for as little as 99 cents a month, and maybe I can get some of these bills paid, maybe I can get my Wi-Fi turned back on, <laughs> maybe I don't have to worry about food shortages, you know what I'm saying? Um, with 400,000 plus followers on TikTok, man, I only need like, I only need 600 people to um, support the podcast for 99 cents a month, just a dollar a month, a dollar, that's three cents a day. Please, please consider it um, because I really want to keep this going, but I lose a lot of wind when I see very little support for it because I think maybe this isn't such a great endeavor, but people tell me it's great, but Unfortunately, in a capitalist society, compliments don't pay bills. And, and I hate to say things like that, but it is true. I, I really could use the financial support uh, 
Um, you could also find me at Cash App, dollar sign John S. Blake. And you could find me at Venmo at John Survivor Blake. Um, yeah, and I have a Patreon as well, patreon.com slash blackfluidpoet. And I hope to see y'all there as well, because I only have uh, maybe 40 supporters there, and I need a lot more. Um, so please help me get through this last semester of grad school. Help me with this endeavor of trying to write this autobiography that so many people would really love to get their hands on. Um, so just consider it. Hope you have a good day. <laughs>